0: How's everybody doing today? If you would stand and rise, if you're able to read Isaiah 53, chapter 53, verses 1 through 6. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and held in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our inequities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the inequity of us all. It's the word of the Lord. Thank you.
1: Atlanta, last week. Boulder, Colorado, this week. Um, Ten innocent lives, lost forever. One of them, a police officer who leaves behind seven children. Virginia Beach, Friday night, we still don't know a lot of the details. Why is the world so angry? What is going on? I think one of the reasons, if you're thinking about Christianity as a legitimate, real, true, believable thing, I think one of the things that makes Christianity so compelling is that it gives the best answers for, on one hand, horrific evil. And on the other hand, the subtle evil that remains in our hearts, even those of us who confess Christ. I think that's what makes the gospel so persuasive is that Christianity answers those questions better than anything else out there. Um, Let me ask you this. What do you think humanity's biggest problem is? What What do you think our biggest problem is? And then let me draw like try to bring it a little closer to home and ask you personally, what, what would you say your personally your deepest recurring problem is? I think the deepest moral impulse, the deepest moral impulse inside of each of us is making excuses. The biblical terminology is justifying oneself defending yourself my own self righteousness and 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 justifying myself like it's not just my sins that i need to be saved from i need to be saved from my best excuses from the goodness that i think remains in me i cling to my goodness because i feel like i have to if it's so hard for me to admit that I'm actually wrong, that there there is remaining sin inside of my heart and soul. It's so hard to admit that I'm wrong. I mean, to confess sin, to admit to somebody else or in front of somebody else that I've done something wrong, it's really hard. Like to say I was r- I was r- I was r- wrong. Like that's hard to say, right? And to mean it to really confess that, like what will people think? What will people think of me if I confess, if I confess my my sin and the the wickedness and the, the stuff that's in my heart? So instead, what we like to do, instead of confessing is what we like to do is we like to shift the blame, shift the guilt, shift it to somebody else. So, We make them the problem. We make other people the problem. We make people we love, people we work with, people we're friends with, people we're married to. We make other people the problem and we do it every single day. And here's what we're doing. When we do this over and over again, you know what we're saying to that person? What we're saying to that person when we shift our guilt, our shame, our problem onto them, what we're saying to them is, we're really saying, I need a substitute. And I've picked you. I'm so disappointed with my life. I'm so angry right now. I'm so ashamed of my stuff. But it can't be my fault can't be my fault, so let's make it your fault. And we shift it all to someone else. And we're saying to that person, I, I, look, I, I know this is a really distorted view of the atonement. This is the best I've got. And we ask them to atone for us. And it never works. Whoever solved a problem, really solved a problem by making someone else the problem. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. Meet the suffering servant. Meet the substitute that God Himself chose, and He willingly said, I will go and be their substitute. We are studying through Isaiah, and we've come to this third stanza, if you want to flash the image on the screen. The the song we're singing has five stanzas. Uh, First, second, so you see it there. I said last week I think we'll do three and four today, so curveball. (laughs) I think we're just gonna settle in on three, okay? And we'll come back to four on Friday night. Today I want you to see the central theme of this whole song, it's the central stanza, third stanza it's verses four five and six and its theme is substitution the suffering servant isaiah says way ahead of time isaiah says is jesus christ he is our substitute instead of making someone else the problem jesus invites you this morning listen to this Jesus invites you this morning to say, put your shame, put your guilt, put your anger, put your disappointment, put all your stuff, get it all together, put all your stuff on me. I will be your substitute. I want to show you that in... Three kind of unfolding layers because each verse, verse 4 and 5 and verse 6, each of these three verses at the center of the song makes a distinct point about the gospel. So I want to get into verse 4. Look with me at verses 4, 5, and 6. Verse 4 says this, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Now, to understand what's happening in the second part of that verse, we esteemed him stricken, smitten, afflicted. You need to know that people at the cross of Christ were not cheering him on. Except for a few, most observers of the cross were thinking, this guy's a blasphemer, he's getting what he deserves. They were not singing to calm him or praying with him as he was dying, which we often do with people. They were coming against him. They were saying, see, God's punishing you. So Isaiah says... Surely, for a reason, at the very beginning of the verse, he says surely, that means truly. Like the truth is, the truth is that Jesus wasn't getting what he deserved, Jesus was getting what we deserved, right? So that's the truth. The truth is, Jesus was dying in our place. So that's why Isaiah says surely, truly, he has borne our griefs, yet everyone, everyone watching was saying, see, he's getting what he deserved. No, no, no. that's not at all what happened. Jesus got my payment in full, now here's the layer from this verse I want you to see, this is really interesting, Isaiah doesn't start talking about guilt until verse 5, what's he talking about in verse 4, in verse 4 he's talking about grief, and sorrow, and pain, and emotional stuff, on the cross, Jesus Christ died, like Jesus Christ died for our real suffering in life, pain the NIV has, Sickness, the new American standard has. Griefs, sorrow. Jesus did not only die for your guilt. He died for the experience in life of the pain and suffering and disappointments that you are experiencing in real time. What what is Isaiah doing here? He's talking about the fullness of, of the effect of the... Like, Jesus thought of everything when He died on the cross for us. Nothing gets left out. He carried into His death both our guilt before God and its effect on us. Its mental, emotional, psychological, spiritual, even physical effect. Sin makes us sick, broken, distorted, empty, hollow. Jesus died for all of that grief. Like, circle those words. The next time you grieve, you remember Jesus entered into that grief for you. The next time you experience deep sickness, the next time the doctor calls you back and says, your levels are up. Remember, Jesus died for your Grief and your sorrow and the emotional impact. And, and there's this great chapter here in the book we're featuring during the Easter season, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. We've got him out in the Commons. There's this great chapter on the emotional life of Christ. And his point is to say Jesus didn't just die for your sins. Like he died. Well, I'll read it to you. Here's what he says Remember Isaiah 53? It speaks of Christ bearing our griefs and carrying our sorrows. He was not only punished in our place. Experiencing condemnation, which we never will experience now that we trust in him. But he also suffered with us. In your grief, he is grieved. In your distress, he is distressed. Are you angry today? He goes on. Be comforted by this. Jesus is angry alongside of you. What? What? He joins you in your anger, but he's angrier than you could ever be about the wrong done to you. Your anger is but a shadow, probably mingled with unrighteousness. As you consider those who've wronged you, let Jesus be angry on your behalf. His anger can be trusted along with every other emotion that Jesus would have perfectly expressed for us. His anger can be trusted because it springs from his compassion for you. The indignation he felt when, when he came upon mistreatment of others in the Gospels is the same indignation he now feels in heaven upon mistreatments of you. In that knowledge, release your debtor and breathe again. Like, let Jesus heal your deep emotional pain. That's legal. You don't have to go to the cross for forgiveness of sins and to a therapist to get legalized emotional expression. You, and there are good therapists out there, I'm not throwing, uh, this is, therapy is, therapists are important, I'm not saying they're not, but you don't need to go there to get, Jesus wants to rescue your emotions, your grief, your sorrow, everything. Start with Him. The death of Christ is the death of your depression, your fear, your shame, your anxiety, your compulsiveness. It's the beginning of the death of all of those things. When you enter into Christ, the death of Jesus begins to free you from those things. Mark it down those of you who are memorizing this passage with us, so rich, mark it down, like write it on the tablet of your heart. He bore my grief, my sorrow, my, all my stuff that's just all a mess inside of me. He bore it. He says, come and put it on me. Don't, don't, don't keep putting it on others. Stop putting it on other people. They don't know what to do with it. They can't do anything with it. Stop putting it on them. Put it on me. Jesus died on the cross, and amazingly, He covered it all. Here's the second point, and I'm saying He covered it all because He does die for our guilt before God. Jesus endures our just penalty. Every word in this point matters. Jesus endured our just penalty penalty. It should have been our like it should have been ours verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions crushed for our iniquities for our transgressions for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Chastisement should have been on us. By his wounds some of you might have stripes in there. Wounds or stripes. You could even translate it gashes. His, the, you know, his gashed body was supposed to be mine, Isaiah says. This is intense. Can you feel the intensity picking up in verse five as you're reading through the passage? He bore our griefs and our, sor- and our sorrows, right? We get this full emotional picture, but then also he was pierced. He was crushed. He was like, he, like, this is that scene in the Passion of Christ, if you've seen it, where you feel like, I can't even watch this anymore, and you kind of want to turn away, right? It's the reality of that in that, in that depiction. It's just so arresting. It's intense. Why is it so intense? Why is this passage so intense? Because, it's, because Isaiah is trying to convey the full extent to which God went to rescue you, right? God spared nothing. He spared nothing. Jesus did not get a discount from God when he paid for our sins. He paid the full price, the Bible says, God did not spare his own son, but gave him up, abandoned him, forsaken. That's what Jesus says. My God, my God, why do I feel right now utterly forsaken on the cross? And I don't think it'll do just to say he's quoting Psalm 22, and so therefore the rest of the psalm fills out what he really means. I think it's a real cry of dereliction. It's a real cry of his abandonment. Something happened at the cross that was sacred, terrible, amazing, mysterious. There was no other way. And we need to be careful here because we'd never want to say that the abandonment or forsakenness of the Son means that God was angry with Jesus. God was never angry with Jesus. He was angry, but not with Jesus. There's never anything but love between the Father and the eternal Son of God. So what we would mean then when we sing songs like the father turned his face away. What we would mean then is Jesus who was fully man and fully God in one person really and truly experience the devastating severity of God's wrath and anger according to his human nature. As a human being, like he's fully human and fully divine. His divinity never, never experiences this in some mysterious, amazing way. It can be said to be true of the one person. But in his humanity, right, his divinity uh, is, is, remains unchanging. But in his humanity, he fully experiences the forsakenness of God. And it truly, really happened. Or we don't get saved. God says, your real problem is not the oppressive feelings of guilt and shame that you have inside of you that you keep trying to offload on other people. That's not your real problem. Your real problem is objective moral guilt before me. You need to start with me. That's what God says. Come to me. And here's what I want you to understand. I'm still in God's voice here. God says, I want you to understand, I am so angry with your sin. I'm so angry with your sin and there's nothing that you can do to get out. And then God says, but I, but I also love guilty people so much that I will not leave you there. So I'm going to say, Jesus, will you be? And the son says, almost in an amazing kind of unfathomable way at the same time, right? In the eternal plan of God, I'm ready. I'm willing. Nobody takes this from me. I'm willing to give it. And Jesus says, I will be their sacrifice. God says, I love guilty people so much, I will crush the suffering servant for you. And that's the gospel. I should des- I deserve the punishment. I deserve the chastisement. I deserve death. And By his wounds instead, I am healed. God, in Christ, unleashed his perfect, holy, warranted justice on the Son so that you don't have to experience that. That's amazing. Don't try to write the wrath of God and the anger of God out of your understanding of the gospel. The whole thing falls apart. It's like a Jenga Jenga tower. No, it's not like a Jenga tower. That's not the right analogy. Anyway, uh, you just pull the, if you pull this out, it's the fulcrum. If you pull it out the whole thing goes, goes down. Jesus, like Jesus thought of everything when he died on the cross for us. He not only heals our emotional sickness and desperation and emptiness, he heals our our guilt before God and rescues us. He pays our penalty. He endures our just penalty. And then here's the third thing. Watch this. And, and he does, when he does all this, he carries far away from us our guilt. Number three, verse six. He carries it far away. I've been kind of humming to myself all week. What's the first verse? Living he loved me. Living he loved me, dying he saved me. You remember this old casting crowns? Didn't casting crowns do that? Living he loved me, dying he saved me. Buried he carried my sins like a quarter mile away. Buried he carried my sins far away, right? Rising he justified. Fully, freely forever. Verse 6. In verse six, Isaiah shows us ourselves and he shows us God. Watch for those two things. Are you with me? So look for for you and then look for God. Verse six. He shows us ourselves straying and wandering like lost sheep and then he shows us God lovingly, solemnly working for us. Look at this. All we, verse six, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one. Find yourself in that. We have turned, every one of us, to his own way. And the Lord, here's what God does, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Let's think first about us. Now that image is so good. This image of sheep, this is how we roll. This is the way we we operate. All we like sheep, we're just doing our own thing. Like we're all just doing our own thing. When you look at humanity, when you look at us, we're all just doing our own thing. We're wandering just from, from one satisfying clump of grass in this world to another and nothing ever seems to be enough we're just wandering each to our own way living our way we don't see anything wrong with it it's the way we came into the world it's how we've lived our whole lives like this is such a perfect imagery perfect imagery about who we are all we every one of us like sheep just wander around doing our own thing you know at the end of the period of Judges, about a 300-year section of biblical history. At the end of the period of Judges, the author sums up the whole tragic era with this line, listen to this. Judges 21, in those days there was no king in Israel. And every. do you remember this? And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. No king, no shepherd, Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And and it's not everybody did what was wrong in their own eyes and therefore this tragic way of, you know, this season of of history of God's people. No, it's everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Like this is what I think I should do. This is what I think I should do. This is what I think I should do. This is the way we live. That's how we... we go astray you will always go astray by yourself by the way don't believe it don't believe what the world is telling you you will by yourself doing your own thing always go astray that's what Isaiah is teaching us each of us everyone in emphasis to his own way. Now, that's what we, now, here's what God, what has God done? That's us, here's God. What has God done? Keeping with the shepherding imagery, Isaiah says, but the Lord in his grace and in his mercy has laid on him the wandering, the departure, the rebellion, the iniquity of us all. In keeping with this shepherding imagery, Isaiah says the Lord has laid on him our betrayal and our waywardness. What's he doing? So he's taking this Old Testament, those of you who are familiar with the Bible, he's, he's taking this Old Testament imagery of sacrifice, right? Isaiah is reaching back and collecting all of the imagery from the Levitical law and from Exodus and the beautiful pictures and images of atonement through sacrifice. He's collecting them all and he's saying, look, all of those make the same point that the writer of Hebrews will one day make, that Jesus is the suffering servant. That the suffering servant is the offering and sacrifice and that happened on the cross. He's talking sacrifice language. He's talking about atonement. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. This calls to mind the day of atonement when once a year in the fall, the priest would take the goat that was provided for him. Okay, there's significance in that. The goat is provided and he would take the goat, and he would lay his hands on the head of the goat, and he would confess the sins of the people, right? And this was not a three-minute ceremony. Apparently, this was not a short three-minute ceremony, because it says in the text, he confessed all the sins of the people for the entire year. So, he's praying, he's pleading with God all of these guilty Israelites in his mind and heart and he's transferring their guilt, their depression, their shame, their excuses, their sins, their murder, their adultery, on and on and on and he's confessing on the head of this goat and he's symbolizing the transfer of guilt to the head of this goat and then do you remember what happens? Then the goat is to be taken out into the wilderness and to be taken way out into a remote place the text says so it will never be seen again it's forsaken it's abandoned the substitute this pathetic goat is led out as far as it could possibly be led i wonder what it would have been like to be the guy who took that goat walking for hours not minutes Scripture says, the goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself. Do you know what that's a picture of? That's, a, that's the cross of Christ. Jesus. Jesus is saying to us, God is saying to us in His Word. God is saying to us in His Word. And Jesus is saying to us by His Spirit right now, listen, you looking for, if you're looking for a scapegoat, if you're looking for someone to blame... I am your man. Come and put it all right here. You come and put your shame here. You come and put your guilt here. You come and put your depression here. You come and put your brokenness here. Just come and put it. Stop putting it on everybody else and come and dump it on me. I'll be your scapegoat. I love this. Look at the end of verse 6. It's not a human priest who executes this transaction. It's not a human priest. What does the Bible say? The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. We believe Isaiah is talking about Jesus. We believe in the gospel that God, in his kindness and mercy toward us, laid the sins of, of every generation, of anyone who would believe, on Christ. For those terrible hours on the cross, listen to this. For those terrible hours on the cross, God was laying the iniquity of all of us on his son, saying to his beloved son, you are Peter the denier. You are Paul the persecutor. You are Rahab the prostitute. You are David the adulterer. You are the scapegoat. His beloved son becomes the scapegoat for every single infraction in the universe. That's absolutely mind-blowing. And that includes you. And then he says to his son, It's on you, now take it into the grave and bury it forever. And through his sacrifice, through his death, through his burial, through the full extent to which he experienced the forsakenness and distance and separation in his humanity That was then pronounced victorious and successful so that the book of Romans introduces us at the very beginning of the book with the love of God shown in raising the son from the dead. And so the resurrection, which we're going to celebrate a week from now, but you can start right now if you like, you know, the resurrection pronounces the success of this atoning victory. That's the whole point. Think about this. The next time you try to put your problem, your sin struggle, your shame, your guilt, your whatever package, the next time you try to offload that on somebody else, just listen for the sweet spirit of, of God saying, no, 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 no. don't put it on them. You just listen for the voice of Jesus. Put it on me. Stop putting it on them. Put it on me. Listen for Jesus to say put it on me. I love to rescue guilty people. That's what I do. If you're heavy laden, burdened, weighed down with sin and depression, and, re- and, and maybe some things you've really done wrong, like you've really messed up, and you don't know how to get out. Jesus will get you out. That doesn't mean there won't be some consequences maybe, but you can be free. Free to live again. How do you do this? How do you get Jesus's forgiveness? If you've not yet trusted in Christ, please hear me this morning. If you've not yet taken all your stuff and put it on Christ, here's what you do. It's really simple, okay? It's profound, but it's very simple. You come with nothing in your hands, open hands, uh, with repentance and faith so with repentance you say I can't I've done trying Jesus I do believe that you're who you say you are and so I turn from myself and I come in faith empty hands I repent and I believe and I want you to be my substitute if you've never trusted in Christ yet I want to I pray for you in just a second and, and lead you like I'd like to lead you to Christ today right now to place your faith in him if you are a believer I'll pray for you as well will you join me let's pray right now so first of all if you are wanting to trust Christ for the first time today and really believe the gospel say something like this. Like Jesus, I believe who you say you are in your word and I want to stop trying to save myself. So here's all my stuff. Will you save me? Will you give me freedom and new life? I love you. I want to trust you. Be my substitute. Be the perfect scapegoat I could never find anywhere else. I trust you. If you're already a believer, try something like this. Lord Jesus, I am sorry that I keep trying to put my stuff on other people when I could be putting it on You and finding life. Lord Jesus, will You take my shame again? Will You help me to continue to offload my guilt, my frustration, my anger, my lust, My greed? My selfishness? Take it. Take it in your death. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Jesus lives in me. And and the life that I now live, Jesus, I want to live by faith in the life-giving Son of God. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's sing and voice our hearts this morning.